Hey everyone, this is Chad Arms, the pastor of Creekside Bible Church. Thanks for taking some time to listen to my latest sermon, a sermon about communication. It will play in just a minute, but before it does, I want to tell you something that's really exciting. In the last year, our sermons have been listened to over 11,000 times on different podcast hosts. It's a pretty remarkable number, and we're really thankful for that. It's our goal that that number would continue to go up, though, and one of the best and easiest ways to make that happen is if you would leave us a rating and or review on whatever podcast host you're listening to this on. We would really appreciate that. As I say a lot, we think that our content is helpful to people and we want more people to hear it. And so please, if you have been impacted in any way by our sermons, please, please, please leave us a rating and or review. We would really appreciate it. Again, thanks for listening. I hope that this sermon will help you to learn and live more fully for the glory of God. Good morning again to you. Uh, What we're going to look at this week, for me anyway, was convicting. It was humbling uh, as I was studying through it. It's interesting. Communication theory is is not very old as a discipline of social sciences. uh, But it, it, I mean, really, it's just something that appeared in the latter half of the uh, 20th century. And yet, it's, as we look at the Bible, we see that God had some things in place long before you know, modern psychologists and sociologists uh, started to say, wait, maybe we should think about how we are communicating with one another. And, and man, what we see today is, uh, is so important, and, uh, but not something we do very well. That's, that's the difficulty. I I, I told you, I think last week, that I almost have a minor in psychology. Not quite, but almost a minor in psychology. And I swear, most of what I learned was just centered around listening to people. And that's what God is going to get at in this passage of Scripture that, that we're going to look at today. I, I remember um, being in this, this counseling class and and, and all the whole, the whole counseling class. And if you, I've ever sat with you and you need any uh, kind of counseling, this is what's going to happen. I'll just tell you ahead of time. All I'm going to do is sit there and I'm going to ask you questions in order for you to tell the story. And, and then hopefully after enough questions, you're going to figure out what you ought to do uh, to make your life better or, you know, be happier or whatever it might be. That's what it's going to look like. I don't have any other skills. I almost have a minor in psychology. And so that's what a counseling session with Chad is going to look like uh, and and I thought you know like this is just a psychological thing but in this passage we look at today it's really it's really a spiritual thing it's really a biblical thing it's really a God thing to listen uh, to listen and and to be slow to speak as it's going to say in our passage so I should say before I start that today is really like part one of a, a two-part sermon because in this book called James in the Bible James has a lot to say on the topic of communication. It's really interesting, and it's a short book, but in every single chapter of the book of James, kind of near the end of your Bibles, if you're looking at a Bible, he talks about the words that we say in some capacity or another. And what's really fascinating about that is that the whole book of James is driven by practical application of faith, of, of Christianity. Like, what does Christianity look like in normal life? Like, how does it play out when we're walking around and living, you know? I mean, we, we kind of have an idea of what we're supposed to believe, but like, what does it look like in 
in our kind of day-to-day lives. And there's this famous phrase that he says that faith without works is dead. And for James, work is a natural response. Good activity, good actions, that's kind of a natural response, a natural outpouring, a natural uh, consequence, good consequence of faith. If you have faith, then your life is going to look different. In fact, I preached a series of sermons on the book of James. I don't know how long ago now, but it was called Different because James paints all these pictures of how we should be different if, if we are Christians. If you're not a Christian, then you, you know, one of the reasons that you may tell yourself, give yourself for not being a Christian is like, well, those Christians don't look any different than I do. And James is all about how we should look different. And, and one of the key themes, isn't it interesting? One of the key themes for James, one of the key ways that we should look different if we have placed our faith in Jesus, if we have become Christians, one of the main things that should be different about us is the way in which we communicate. James in, in verse 18 of chapter one, he, he's talking about how we become Christians and it's so interesting. He says we've been saved through the word of truth. Even for James, he connects accepting the gospel, becoming a Christian to some level of communication, the word of truth. He's saying, look, you became a Christian because of some ways God's communication with you and it's really interesting in our passage I'm not going to bring this back up but you can look for it if you're really uh, good at paying attention to sermons Uh, but there's this interesting thing that kind of seems to happen that that I think is intentional on James part and that's that he keeps connecting our salvation and our life and living for Jesus with words like God's words specifically it just keeps using little phrases like the word of truth And it seems to me that maybe James' intention in doing so is to remind us of the importance of words, the importance of words in bringing us into faith, but also the importance of words once we have come into faith. He's saying, look, words brought you into this Christianity thing, but also words change because you have become a Christian. Romans 10, 14 came to mind as I was kind of thinking about that theme in this passage we're going to look at. In Romans 10, 14, it says to the middle of like this, this kind of bigger passage where it's talking about how people are going to become Christians. And he says, how can they believe in the one whom they have not heard? It's like it's going to be impossible for people to give their lives to Christ if they've never heard of Christ, if they don't know who Jesus is, if they don't know the story of Jesus, then they're not going to embrace the story of Jesus. God's communication to us is essential in our salvation. And I just want to pause right there before we even look at this passage. I know there's a big setup for these verses, but, but just consider for a second how incredible it is that God would communicate with us. And I think in a lot of ways what we're, what we're looking at in this series is interesting because I think that the things that we think of when we think of good communication are in some ways a reflection of the character and nature of God, the ways in which God has communicated with us. There's this phrase that I love in the book of 1 John that, uh, that we're not going to look at in this series of sermons at all, but, but I thought it was... Uh, It's a great part of communication and how we ought to communicate. But in 1 John, he uses this phrase which kind of translates to truthing in love, which is awkward, I know, in English, but that's how it translates, truthing in love. 
And, and I think that, that that's such a good like barometer on communicating well. Are we telling the truth and are we doing it in a loving way? Are we, are we being truthful and loving at the same time? And we see all around us when it comes to communication that people often kind of kind of pendulum swing that, right? Like, like they'll be loving or, or over here they'll be truth telling but not very loving. And, and it's really hard to find kind of the balance between some of those things because I don't know if you're like me, but sometimes it just we just want to tell the truth and be done with it and we can be jerks and like, hey, you're doing it wrong. Let me tell you how to do it right and all that. And it seems like I know two types of people, the people who are really driven by love and the people who are really driven by truth and they're not usually the same person that can do both of those things. But when you look to God and what God has done for us through the Bible specifically, but throughout history, through the prophets, the way the Holy Spirit communicates with us, it's a perfect view of truthing and love. God does not lie to us, but God always communicates to us in love. And so as as we look at these verses, it's so fascinating to me. It's just just so interesting to me because when we think of the character and nature of God, we think about God's all-powerfulness or his all-knowingness or, you know, his all-presence, like all those things. But, But to think like, man, God's communicated with me in a really beautiful way and it's an outpouring of who he is. And, and if I'm gonna reflect God as a Christian, then I need to think about my communication. I think that makes, it gives a weightiness, it makes it more serious, more important, what we're going to look at here. And here's what James 1.19 says. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak. I'm just gonna pause there. As I thought about what to say about that passage, uh, those verses, that little statement right there, kind of a big statement, I guess. This is all that was coming to my mind for a little while, just this shocked emoji. Um, I, I'm like, I'm so the opposite of that, and I think most people are. Like, uh, I'm just, I just sat and stared out a window at a coffee shop after I was pondering, like, what am I going to say about this? Because it's so countercultural and it seems to become more countercultural all the time. You don't have to look past the political world today to see how we, we are very slow to listen and very quick to speak, right? Like nobody seems to be listening to anybody else. We just spout off our opinions without ever listening to anybody else's opinion. We, we've you know, we used, we've, I think we've always been this way a little bit anyway, but now we've just taken it to a new level. We don't really care about what anybody has to say except for what we have to say, and we make it our job to say it as often as possible so that we are heard. But it happens even in our personal relationships. I mean, we want to be the ones to talk. Listening is almost an impossible thing. I, I have this book called uh, The Lost Art of Listening, I think. And, and it's an interesting title because I don't think we ever lost the art. I don't know that we ever had it in the first place. And, and, and all I remember, I have never finished this book because I started to read this book once and I'm like two words in and I'm like, yeah, I'm horribly convicted and I need to work on this. And that's as far as I've gotten. Like I'm a terrible listener. I don't really listen to people uh, and I don't even try to listen to people most of the time. And then James comes in and, and, and what he says, this is not a counseling thing. This is not a psychology thing. This is not a social science thing. Like this is a spiritual thing. Hey, you're a Christian now. This is what James kind of said in verse 18. Let me tell you something. My dear brothers and sisters, which is a term of endearment, like, hey, I love you guys. Take note of this. I'm thinking he's going for something big, right? Avoid sexual sin or something like that. 
No, no. Everyone should be quick to listen and slow to speak. Honestly, think that, I mean, you don't pay me for this, but like that could be the sermon. I could just drop the mic and walk off the stage and, and everybody would go home and go, wow, I need to try to do something different because we, we just don't, we don't do this. We don't try to do this. I, I, you probably didn't even know this was in the Bible anywhere. Like this is not in our, on our radars. This is not important to us. We don't care to do this. Just look at social media and you will see that nobody's attempting to be quick to listen and slow to speak, but it makes so much sense, especially given what we talked about, what we looked at last week in my sermon. If you missed that, get online, wilsonville.church slash communication, listen to that sermon, but we read this verse in that sermon. But I tell you that everyone will have to give an account on the day of judgment for every empty word they have spoken. We're gonna have to sit before God and, and we're gonna have to explain to him all of these vain, empty words that we spoke, all of the things that were not good, that were not godly, we're gonna have to give an account for it. Now, here's the good news. If you're a Christian, this, this account, uh, this, this thing that you'll do before God, it's not going to determine whether you go to heaven or hell. Like, that is only based on whether or not you have given your life to Jesus and accepted his gift of salvation, the gift that he offered to us by him dying on a cross and, and coming back to life. But, and so we don't have to worry about that. It's not like heaven or hell. But I hate, I hate the idea of sitting before Jesus and him going, why'd you say that thing? And what was that word about? That's scary to me. I, I just think of it like this. I think of it like, like when you were in trouble with, with your parents. I think of my dad specifically and uh, and and I, I never questioned, like, is my dad going to continue to love me? Am I going to be kicked out of this family? Like, is he going to eternally punish me and damn me to my room forevermore? You know, like, I never worried about that. But man, I did not want to sit in front of him when I had a terrible grade or I had done something that I knew I shouldn't do. You still don't want to sit there and deal with that conversation, right? There's just something about it. And, and that's what I think this is going to be like for us. We're going to answer for the things that we've done, even if we're Christians, and it's not going to be pleasant, and then we'll go into eternity, and everything will be perfect, and we'll do it, all the fun stuff, and it's going to be great. But there's going to be a moment where, where we converse with God about the things that we've done, and even scarier, the words that we have spoken. And so with that in mind, doesn't it make sense that we should shut our mouths and just listen more frequently? Like, it doesn't say you're going to have to give an account for all the things you listen to, which maybe we will, but it doesn't say it. I mean, we're going to have to give an account for the things that we've, we've said. And that makes me just want to shut my mouth, which I don't do very well. It just makes me want to shut up and, and, and not talk. Really, I, I am envious some ways of the people that I know, and I do know people like this, that just don't talk until they've really thought about things. And, and frankly, I'm a little bit envious of the people who just really don't seem to want to talk very often. They're just, they're just very comfortable sitting there and everybody thinks they're mad or something in the corner. You know the type, right? And, and they're just sitting there quietly because they just have far less words to give an account for uh, on the day of judgment. And so thing number one, like be slow to speak, quick to listen, because, because we're going to answer for the things that we've said. That just makes some practical sense. The less I say, the less I'm going to get myself in trouble. But Proverbs 17, 28 gives us this other thing. It says, even fools are thought wise if they keep silent and discerning if they hold their tongues. 
those same people that don't like to talk, you probably think they're smarter than they are. You know, like, I mean, they're probably equally smart to the rest of us, but they hold their tongues and they just seem so wise. And what I love about people like that, I'm not one of them, but what I love about people like that is that they, that they usually, these, these people I know that are like that, they usually open their mouths when they have something that they deem important to say. And so everybody only hears the important stuff coming out of their mouths, right? It's like, wow, every time they talk, it's so wise. They probably have all the stupid thoughts that we have. They just don't like to say them out loud. And, and you just go, wow, how smart are they? How wise? And I'll tell you, I, just, I have people, there's people right in front of me right now. You know who you are. I, I will listen to every word you say because you don't say that many words. I think it's incredible. Good job. Keep that going. <laughs> and, and then in Proverbs 29, 20, do you see someone who speaks in haste? There's more hope for a fool than for them. We say stupid stuff when we talk quickly and listen slowly to say it in the opposite way of James. And so we have this, this great eternal thing where we sit before Jesus and that makes you know, being quiet and listening more important. And then we have this, this other thing where, where it's like, it's just wise, it's just smart to just be slow to speak and quick to listen. It's just wise. You'll come across smarter. You won't, you'll say less stupid things. I mean, how many of you and me have just moments that we look back on in our lives and we're like, I wish I could just kind of suck that one back in, like not say that. I wish I could get that, those words back. But if you just would have been, if I just would have been a little bit slower to speak, then we never would have said it in the first place. I'm going to go deeper into this, but just let me pause and say, man, it's such a straightforward command, isn't it? But one that you've probably never really worked to, to live out. And, and maybe you have bad relationships, right? I think a lot of us, probably this sermon series is important because of our, our relationships, you know? And, and a lot of those, I would, just, I would just guess that if you had taken this command seriously... Uh, that you would be, if you had been, as James says in his exact words, quick to listen and slow to speak, then that relationship would be better, better, whether it's your marriage, whether it's with a sibling, whether it's with a parent, whether it's with a child. At some point, you can probably look back on that relationship and say, wow, I was really quick to talk and really slow to listen, and now there's been this damage that's been done. And I would also offer that I would just guess, I don't, this isn't in the Bible, this is just me guessing, that if right now in that relationship you would say, here's what I'm going to do, I'm just going to do my best to listen to that person and I'm going to be slow to speak, I bet that you would begin to heal and mend that relationship over time. People love to be heard, they don't love to be told what to do. And I'm guessing you could wear down somebody, you could, you could, fix a relationship, even if they're so bitter and they're so angry at you and you said that thing and they said that thing and you know that it just created this tension you don't think it can ever get better. I'm telling you, I think, I just believe that if you would just listen to them and, and then they say stupid stuff and mean stuff and you're like, oh, I wanna say something so bad and you just continue to be slow to speak, just keep your mouth kind of shut. Over time, I would guess that the relationship would get better. We live in a time when people love to talk and never listen, and, and I think you can be different by, uh, by listening and being slow to speak. But how about this? It's just interesting to me. Jesus listened. 
I would just, I think it'd be really interesting. I haven't done this. I didn't do this in preparation for this sermon series, but just to, to go through the gospels and just read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and just read it through a, the lens of how Jesus communicated. But I think what you'll start to see pretty quickly as I just kind of processed it as I was doing the sermon is that Jesus really paid attention to people. He listened to them. I think if we're going to be more like Jesus, then we need to become better listeners. We need to take this command to be quick to listen and slow to speak seriously. Paul Cedar, an author, said, while his disciples were arguing and talking, Jesus was listening to the deeper needs of them and of the people whom they encountered. It's really fascinating, I think, of the story that that most kind of clearly came to mind is this story of Jesus uh, meeting this woman at a well. Maybe you know this story. And, and Jesus culturally wasn't even supposed to be talking to the woman at all. And, and man, I would imagine in their culture that, that if he was going to talk to her, he would just tell her what to do. And Jesus shows up and he has this conversation. But what's so fascinating about the ins and outs of the conversation is that every response Jesus gives demonstrates that he is clearly listening to the things that she is saying. We think that leading somebody to Jesus or having a good conversation is going to happen by us just sitting there and thinking, what am I going to say next? What am I going to say next? Say the right words. But in this wonderful story, it's like Jesus is paying attention to every little detail that she is saying. And then he is responding in a way that matters based upon what she has already said. Jesus is so quick to ask people questions, isn't he? What do you want me to do for you? Instead of assuming that he knows and then just starting to give him a sermon about, about what he's going to do for them or how awesome he is. He just is always asking these questions and then listening to the responses. I, I know that Jesus, I believe that Jesus is God in human form and that gives him a leg up on us and just about everything that we're attempting to do in life. But, but as I think about these words in James and and kind of the character and nature of God in our communication, I think that one of the reasons that Jesus is so wise in his responses to people is that he is always listening to them first and then giving them an answer. He doesn't come up, this makes Jesus frustrating to study sometimes. Like you would just want Jesus to have canned answers to everything. Like, hey, what's the deal with money? And Jesus just has his canned response every time. But so many of his interactions are based on exactly who they are and sometimes what they have said to him and then he responds. I'll tell you, if Jesus, who is wiser than you, <laughs> was was really quick to listen and slow to speak, then I think it would flow naturally that we who follow him and are not nearly as wise would do well to to follow him in that and say, I'm gonna be slow to speak and quick to listen too. Jesus was an incredible listener and he had these incredible spiritual conversations and I'm sure at times as his disciples babbled on or whatever, they would have been like, he had to just want to be like, hey, just shut up and let me explain this to you. Wouldn't that, I mean, come on, the disciples were like me, like you, you know, like just these guys, like they didn't get it and and they said these dumb things and I mean, Jesus talks about his resurrection over and over and over and they're still like, okay, that's great, but you're not going to die for real. And yet he listens to them and engages them right where they are. I was in charge of uh, something for our denomination a year ago, and uh, and it was a uh, this thing, this pastors' conference, and 
I brought in the speakers. That's mainly what I did. And, and kind of the keynote speaker of that event, um, uh, he, the, the main thing that impacted me that he was talking about, I haven't read his book, but he wrote a book that, that kind of talked about this, is, is that it's really important if you're trying to lead somebody to Jesus to just ask them questions and then listen to their responses. And he said kind of when these ideas were coming to his head, he, he took an Uber or something and he had this long drive with this guy and he just made this decision like uh, he's an evangelist, like literally he's an evangelist. That's what this guy does for a living. He's like, I'm just gonna ask this guy questions. And he said it was like the best most evangelistic conversation he had had in a long time because he would just sit he asked this guy questions over this hour and a half, two hour drive and the guy would respond and then this crazy thing would happen. The guy would then ask him follow up questions. He, he'd say, hey, what do you think about Jesus? And, and, then, and then Doug would ask that, the guy's name's Doug and then the guy would blabber on for 15 minutes and then say, well, well tell me what you think. It's like this perfect opportunity and, and you, don't you see in, in the Christian world we have, we have this mindset that we just need to tell people our message but we've never really asked what anybody else believes. You're probably scared to talk to somebody about Jesus. If you're a Christian, you're probably scared to talk to somebody about Jesus because you think talking to somebody about Jesus is just saying stuff. Like I need to be really quick to speak and, and, I, and you don't even think about listening at all. But if we heeded the words of, of James chapter one, we would just be like asking some, what, what do you think? And then we, we'd listen to what these people think that are friends that we love, that we care about. And then maybe like Jesus, we respond accordingly, not just giving some canned answer about the Christian faith. I think this is what young people want. I I. I I kind of grew up, and have you heard of a tract? Like you would, you would hand these things at Halloween. We did it at Halloween in my house. You would give these people these things that would explain to them Christianity, and, and I think those were great in the, you know, in a different time that, that worked. And because I think a lot of people were coming from the same kind of spiritual background, like they were either Christians or they weren't Christians, but they knew about Jesus and they weren't embracing you know eastern religions and 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 they weren't atheists they thought God was up there they all kind of came from the same platform today we just don't live in a time like that I mean here in the Portland metro area I mean the spiritual beliefs that are around us are as varied as as anything I mean it's all over the board and so for us to hand somebody something that says, here's the deal you're a sinner Jesus died for you rose again give him your life for you go to hell it's rarely ever going to work. But I think most people that we sit next to at Starbucks or work with or whatever, if we just would say like, tell me what your spiritual views are, they would end up asking us what ours are too. And I think they would be quick to listen to what we have to say if we would be quick to listen to what they have to say. So here's my just a practical tip on that note. Um, uh, you got somebody in your life that doesn't love Jesus and you want them to love Jesus, you want that desperately, just find a way, maybe this week, to just ask them what they think about spiritual things or if you know the person in a different way, ask them what they think about Christianity. And then, and then do your best to keep your mouth shut and, and, and to listen to them. I mean, there's all these reasons, right, to like, to listen to this, but we just ignore it. I, no, I mean, I'm, when I say we in this sermon, I really mean we. Like, we just ignore it. We just talk and don't listen. 
And, and, and our idea of listening is thinking about what we want to say next instead of actually listening to people. And James comes along and he says this, this simple, straightforward command, be quick to listen and slow to speak. And I'm telling you, it will affect uh, the conversation we have with Jesus when he returns or we die. It will affect the way people view us and see us and, and whether we're wise or smart and all of that. It will affect our relationships. It will allow us, if we listen to it, to, to have spiritual conversations with people that hate what we believe as Christians I just think it's so important but James may not have in mind all of those things some some authors actually think that James when he says be be uh, quick to listen and slow to speak has first and foremost in mind in this passage our relationship to God I would just like you to think about your relationship with God for a second ready go I think as you think about it, a lot of it is based on what you say, and not a lot of it is based on what God has to say. Uh, when, we think about, uh, when we think about the Christian faith and how it's expressed by most people today, it, it's in a lot of ways us saying things. Think about your prayer life just for a minute. The prayer life is an easy example of that. When we think about interacting with God, when we think about communication with God, most of it is what we say. One of the biggest things searched in kind of the Christian spiritual world on, um, on YouTube today, it's weird I know this, but it, I do, uh, it is how to pray or how to talk to God. And, and, and I think that people just think I need to say all the right stuff, but I think that we would, be, we would do well sometimes, at least in our prayers, to be slow to speak and quick to listen. God, here I am. What would you say to me? And maybe as part of that, you open your Bibles. Maybe part of that, you just listen. I did a sermon series several years ago about, about trying to figure out the will of God. And I know that it's, I've said this to you at our annual meeting. I just said, this is one of the most listened to things on the internet that I've ever preached. People find this. They want to know, how do I know what God wants from me? And one of the most important things I think I said in there, for me at least, is, is you have to take time to just stop and, and say, God, I'm going to give you a few minutes here. So please talk to me. You might have a Bible in front of you. You might be out walking. You might be sitting alone in your room. But you just say, God, I'm going to shut up. And I'm just going to say, God, what is it that you would want to say to me? I have this mentor. He, he, uh, he's a guy who wrote the book. He wrote a book literally on this topic that I borrowed from a lot in my sermon series. And, and he, he just told God. He said, I'm not going to start my dissertation, God for his PhD until you tell me what it's going to be about. And he spent one whole night just praying and listening and waiting for God to give him an answer. And God did. And the book is called God Told Me. And it seems a little crazy because most of us don't think God's told us anything. But what if, what if we just started listening? Would you think maybe God would tell us some stuff every now and then? There's this command throughout scripture that I think is so connected to, to listening to God and the command is, is to wait. It talks about that a lot in the book of Psalms primarily. He's like, I'll wait for you. I'll wait for you more than watchmen wait for the morning. I'm just gonna long to hear from you. It's interesting in, in, uh, in the book of Habakkuk. I mean, one of the, the key themes in Habakkuk is he doesn't like what God has said and he's like, I will not do anything until you tell me something different. That's kind of his point. And he just waits for God to talk to him. 
just waits. I mean, what if you're a prophet, but you don't know it because God hasn't, you haven't listened to God at all. I mean, what if God has, has something for you to, to explain? Uh, and usually we should interpret prophecy as, as understanding scripture clearly and then explaining how it applies to our world. What if God is, what if God is, is looking at you and said, hey, I'd like you to explain scripture to people, but you haven't waited or listened to me at all to hear what I have to say to people. I think that, that man, it's, it, this is really interesting to me, like, any silence in church is almost seen as weird today. We, we've totally, except for the sermon where I talk the whole time, we've, we've made like listening to God like not a part of church at, at all. I, I'm thankful that you go to this church. If you go to this church, I'm thankful you that you stick around because we have one of the longest silent points in, in all the churches you'll go to today. Like uh, we just, we pass communion and it's totally quiet because we want people to have an interaction with God during that spot. But man, it, it feels a little strange, I think, to a lot of people that we would just be quiet that long. Uh, you, you probably know George Fox University. It's a Quaker university, and it's really interesting because their services are so different. And, and I actually got on a Quaker website. I kind of knew this from studying church history, but I wanted to look it up and, and listen, listen to what this, how they describe this Quaker meeting. The practice of sitting together in silence is often called expectant waiting. It is a time when friends become inwardly still and clear aside the activities of mind and body that usually fill our attention in order to create an opportunity to experience the presence of the Holy Spirit. Now, let me, let me just say, I went to a university, uh, Corbin University, Western Baptist at the time, where, where professors there, and I think rightfully so, uh, were really afraid of the, the kind of Eastern things that have crept into some of modern Christianity, like, like, hey, have a mantra, you know, things like that. Uh, sometimes these things are surrounded by this thing called contemplative prayer, which contemplative prayer in and of itself, uh, not so bad, but oftentimes there's kind of these tangents that come off of it where we're, we're really clearing our mind just like, you know, just like somebody would do if they were a Buddhist, just clear the mind. And that's not what I'm describing here. I'm saying turn your attention towards God and shut your, your mouth and, and, and do your best not to think of the distractions of the day and say, God, I'm here to focus on you. Talk to me. We'd be good in that regard. Man, I, I mean, I'm not gonna do this because you all would not show up, but how cool would it be just to sit here and wait for God next week like the Quakers? I would like that. I might try going to a Quaker church someday uh, just to see how it is. It would be uncomfortable, but I think so good to listen. God, li just think about this. God listens to us. How arrogant of, it, uh, of us is it that we don't listen to him? I mean, the God of the universe is mindful of us. In the book of Revelation, it says that our prayers are like a fragrant offering to him. And we can't stop and say, God, is there anything you'd like to say to me? And then James moves on and he, he says in, in James 1, 19, 20, and, and, and be slow to become angry because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Anger will stand in the way of you having a good and proper relationship with God. And specifically, he connects here. I mean, be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to be angry. Uh, anger, I mean, you know this. This is just intuitive, right? When you're angry, it's a lot harder to be obedient to that command. 
We are a lot quicker to talk and slower to listen when we're angry. I, I don't know that I've ever listened when I'm angry to any word that has come out of anybody else's mouth because I'm about to tell them why they are wrong. That's, that's what I'm looking to do. Well, here's why you're an idiot, and here's why I hate you, and here's where you messed up, and here's why you, uh, we're not going to be friends anymore, you know? I mean, this is, I mean, there is, like, people who do the silent treatment. I've never been a silent treatment guy when I'm angry, but that's not listening either, right? That's just talking, communicating in a different way, uh, one that is much quieter. I mean, you think about these sins of, of communication, Yelling. I think when you're a jerk to somebody, it's, I think we can all agree that that's probably sinful. It happens because you're angry. Slander. You're saying something behind somebody's back, saying something negative about somebody. I mean, this is, this is, happens when you're angry. Gossip, swearing, all of it connected to anger. I think that we need to deal with our anger problem if we are going to be good communicators and if we are going to communicate good. I'm not going to get into how to do that today. I preached a sermon series not long ago. I'm sorry to plug old sermon series today, but uh, called Quiet Wrath. You can find it on our website. And Quiet Wrath was four weeks about how to deal with anger. And if you struggle with anger, then I would, I would go give it a listen. So then I'm going to skip down to verse 26. And in verse 26... Just notice this. If you think, like, it's not that big a deal, listen to this last verse in this passage of Scripture. Those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves and their religion is worthless. Wow. That's pretty harsh. That's a big, huge statement that James just drops in there. You might know the next thing that he says better, like the, the religion that God likes is, is that we help widows and orphans. You may have heard that kind of phraseology before, but you've probably not paid attention to this. I mean, if you can't keep a tight rein on your tongue, then your religion is worthless. Now in James chapter 3, the passage we're going to look at next week, he goes far into this. I mean, he, he takes this and, and he, he spends several verses talking about keeping a tight rein on your tongue. But I think this goes directly with what we talked about last week. Uh, the mouth is, is the overflow. What we say is an overflow of what is in our hearts. And James uses this interesting word, religious. It's the only time that it comes up in the New Testament. And it's a word that, that primarily speaks of the outward expressions of our religion. A lot of times in Christianity, we want to say like this cliche thing, it's not a religion, it's a relationship. And I understand where that comes from and why we say that. But we do have outward expressions of this relationship, right? And that's exactly what James is talking about when he says the word religious, the outward expressions of this relationship that we have with God through Jesus. And that's James' whole deal, right? I said this, like that's what James is focused on here. He wants our faith to produce works. And here he says, man, if you can't keep a tight rein on your tongue, then all of these other religious expressions are, are just not valuable. Worthless translates a word that means foolish, idle, useless, empty. Refers to results. Uh, I mean, what we say is a reflection of who we are. And, and what I think James is getting at here is you can, you can do all of this other religious stuff but you're fooling yourself if if 
if your faith in Christ is not affecting the words that you say. So you can, you can roll in here. You can show up to church every Sunday. You can donate lots of money. You can be at every property cleanup. You can be in a small group. You can, you can be at church dinners, which are gonna start up near the end of September. You can, you can do all of this stuff. But don't be deceived. All of that is not indicative of your heart if you haven't changed, if your words haven't been changed. What James is getting at here is that, that when you place your faith in Jesus, there is the natural reaction that your words will change. Now, look, if you mess up, if you swear, if you lie, if you slander somebody, if you raise your voice a little too loud every now and then, uh, that's, James is not saying like, hey, give it all up. Just quit the whole religion thing. What he is saying is that you should not think that God has really changed your hearts if your words have not been changed changed because your words are a reflection of who you really are we can we can fake ourselves out a lot right and say i'm growing i'm growing i'm growing but if your words aren't getting better and better and better more like god would want them to be more like some of the things we'll see in the next few weeks then really you're just deceiving you're deceiving yourself to repeat verses from last week again, Matthew 12, 33 through 35, make a tree good and its fruit will be good or make a tree bad and its fruit will be bad for a tree is recognized by its fruit. You brood of vipers, how can you who are evil say anything good for the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in him and an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in him. Religion that isn't impacting your speech is foolish, idle, useless, empty, and worthless. A person whose religion is like that is deceived because it has no power over your ethical behavior. And that's James' whole point. That's why this book is written. Faith without works is dead. And one of the works that should be evident in every person who is genuinely trying to live for Jesus is a changed tongue. Your communication will be different. John Gill says, useless and unprofitable to himself and others. All his preaching, praying, hearing, and attendance on the, of the ordinances will be of no avail to him. And he, notwithstanding these, by his evil tongue, brings a scandal and reproach, a reproach upon the ways of God and doctrines of Christ. You say like, well, I'm not going to pay attention to that, you know, slow to speak, quick to listen stuff. But if you're not going to pay attention to one of the, just a clear command of God, then you need to check your heart. You need to pay attention to what you actually believe. You need to pay attention to actually who you are as it connects to your relationship with Christ. We speak some 18,000 words in a day. We found that out this week. Enough for a 54-page book. That's a little bit scary. I probably go right past that every day. And this is even more scary. One-fifth of our lives are spent talking. Um, and man, here's, here's what James is saying. If you aren't living for God with a fifth of your life, then you're not really living for God at all. If you're not living for God with a fifth of your life, then your relationship with God might not be what you think it is. And so here's, here's what I would tell you as you walk out of here. Here's what I tell you. It's just so practical, right? You now know that there's this command. This is a simple command. 
You love Jesus. If you love Jesus, if you're a Christian, if you call yourself a Christian, you, you love Jesus, you want to live for Jesus, there's this simple command, and it's be quick to listen, slow to speak. And I would hope that you would walk out of here today saying, Jesus, I do love you. I do want to live for you. I'll do better this week at being quick to listen and slow to speak. I'm going to do it. And I hope you'll do it too. Lord Jesus, I pray that, man, even as a church, kind of corporately and organizationally, God, we would be known as a church that really listens to people, listens to the needs of our community, listens to each other, God, listens to our neighbors. But God, for the individuals that sit in front of me, people who are going to listen online, Lord, I pray, I pray, I pray, God, that first they would genuinely love you, God. If our words reflect who we are, then maybe some people will take this sermon and they'll say, man, maybe I don't, maybe I don't really love Jesus because I'm not even trying to, to speak in a better way, to communicate in a way that is good. And maybe, God, this would be the day when people would, would, would turn a corner and say, yeah, I need to really maybe give my life to Jesus. I've kind of believed this stuff, but I, but I haven't truly given my life to Jesus. Maybe this would be the, the day, God, when they would say, okay, maybe I, I, I do love Jesus, but I haven't been really trying to live for him, and maybe now's the time to start. And, and so I pray that if people just need conviction, God, then you would convict them uh, about where their heart's at, Lord. But then I think a lot of us, we, we just... You probably didn't even know this was in the Bible. We hadn't thought about it before. I, frankly, for me, God, I, you know this, but, but these people in front of me don't. I, I've read this a lot of times, I'm sure, and it, it's never even stuck out to me. It's never even uh, spoken. You've never spoken to me through it, God. It's never, I've just passed right over it and focused on how we should help widows and orphans. And, but now, God, now you've put it in front of me. <laughs> I've actually listened to you, God. And I pray for me and people like me who, who are trying to live for you, that you would help us put this into practice in our lives, God. And as we leave here today, I pray that we would be slower to speak and quicker to listen than we were last week. I pray that would be true in our marriages. I pray that would be true in our uh, parenting. I pray that that would be true with our coworkers. I pray that that would be true with our friends. I pray that that would be true with each other, God. Uh, and I pray, God, that as we do it, that you would produce fruit from it, Lord. You'd heal broken relationships. You would strengthen marriages. You would help parents to parent better, God. You would help the lost to want to listen to what we have to say about you, God, and, and a whole bunch of other stuff. I pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.